so I am a bit of a task-oriented kind of fellow, which gets me in trouble a little bit, uh, especially around the time of New Year's. Um, to give you an example, I have a, an app on my phone that tracks goals, <clears throat> and I break those goals down into habits. And so I have about 18 habits that I'm trying to check off every single day. And my wife gets after me, she says, that's too many. You know, you're going to discourage yourself. But, but I am an all-or-nothing guy. Confession time. The big goal for 2016 is to make this look even better, <laughs> which is not a big stretch. So fitness is the, is, the, is the goal. Underneath that, there are several different habits. I'm not going to share with you all of my plans because you guys are going to come tell me how that's wrong and mess it all up. But one of them is that I am to exercise every day. Now, I haven't been doing that in quite a while. So, you know, nothing to everything. That's kind of my pendulum swing. So I'm going pretty good, and uh, I'm trying to exercise first thing, first part of my day. So that means early, that I have to get to the Y. And I've been just walking or getting on the elliptical, and I thought, that, that's good. You know, I'm just, I'm doing it every day, but I'm still doing pretty light. On Tuesday, <clears throat> we had an interruption, so I wasn't able to do it in the morning. And so I thought, well, that's okay, I'll, get, I'll do it after work. So I'm going, I go after work, and about 5.30, I go to the Y. Now, I know that there's the, the elliptical and the treadmill, but I also notice that something that I usually can't partake of in the morning because I don't have enough time, they have these classes that you can take, these exercise classes. So I think, aha, well, this will make it different. This will make it fun. Exercise can be exciting. So... <laughs> I go there, and I have the list, and I see that the time I'm getting there, there's one of two options. One is called boot camp. <laughs> you want to turn a chubby guy off to exercise, name it boot camp. I mean, these people need some help in marketing, okay? And the other one is body blitz. Now, neither of them sound great, you know. I'd rather have one called Chick-fil-A sampling hour. But as that's not on, on the agenda... I proceed, and I'm kind of late, so I rush in, and, and it's like boot camp this way, body blitz that way. Well, I thought, okay, I, I get what boot camp's about. I don't need people yelling at me, so I'm going to go to this body blitz. I have no idea. I've never been before. I have zero idea what this is about. Except on the little description in the class list, it says, uh, come for a class that will work your whole body and no cardio. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't realize that meant we were going to be using weight. And the weight we were going to be using was our own, which I have plenty of. So we get in there. I rush into, I, I go into the class, and I can tell you the instructor. She's talking to somebody, so I'm kind of just waiting because I, I need a little bit of instruction. I don't know what to do. So I said, hi, I'm new. I don't know I'm late, and I'm sorry, but you know, what do I need to do this class? And she's like, okay, it's no problem, honey. You just come on in, and you get this, 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 and this. So I go get this, 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 and this. The classroom is pretty full, so I go up to the front row. I situate my stuff. I empty my pockets. I, I put the thing. I get the little bench down. I get the little mat down. I get the weights over here, all ready to go. I stand up, and I realize I am in a ladies' class. 
They didn't call it a ladies' class, but some memo went out that I didn't get. <laughs> I am, now I've got a decision to make at this point. Because I'm in here, I'm on the front row, mind you, okay? So I'm like, okay, the decision is, do I, I wuss out and walk with my head in shame, saying I'm not tough enough for this ladies' class? Or do I just suffer through it? Being the all-or-nothing man that I am, I suffer through. I'm going through. <laughs> These ladies are wearing workout clothes and yoga pants, and there's this fat guy in... It is the most out-of-place-looking thing. <laughs> and thankfully enough, the genius architects at the Y have glass walls on the front and the back. So I'm in here working, praying, just praying I see no one I know. Is, there gonna, is that levering? What's he doing? I, I could just see. And it's not even people I know. It's people I don't know. There's like, is that the guy from Know Your Bible? What's he doing in there? I'd... Now, I come out at, this is a one hour long class. I mean, I'm rolling and going along. I'm, I'm about to die. I'm sweating out of parts of my body I shouldn't be sweating out of. And, and I, I'm like, oh man, this class is going to be over. I look up at the clock and it's like seven minutes into the class. Ah! So I get through the hour long class and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry because they'll just make fun of me. I, I get out of the class. I pick up all my stuff. I go over there. I'm like, oh. Okay, I'm not dead. I survived that until the next morning. The next morning, there were muscles. I didn't even know I had muscles in these places. They were so sore. And I was just completely, I felt like I was shredded. And yet the mirror told me I was clearly not shredded. I tell that story to say that a lot of people do that kind of thing around New Year's. And especially when it comes to faith. It's like they've been doing nothing and all of a sudden we're going to read through the whole Bible in 13 days or something like that. And they, they get so, they're ready. They just guilt themselves. i got to do better. i got to do better to get better. And then they, they go and they go so hard and they go so fast. And, and they just wear themselves out. And so what I was so, so miserable on Wednesday, I, didn't, I haven't gone since I didn't go again until Saturday. And I was so discouraged with myself because I'd, I'd really tried to do good and in trying to do too much, I ended up doing nothing at all. That's very similar, especially when it comes to daily Bible reading. Uh, a lot of churches have daily Bible reading and, and they you know, have the daily Bible reading plan and so forth. And, and we all have great intentions until we hit about Leviticus. And then it's like, oh man so hard and I feel so bad that I don't read this and then I don't know it. So that's all a setup for this Northside 90-day plan. The 90-day plan, we're going to go through the New Testament in 90 days. Now, I, just by show of hands, not for show off or, or to guilt anybody, how many of you, today's day one, how many of you have done day one? All right. Now, a lot of people didn't raise their hands and this is who I'm talking to. No kidding. I hadn't done it today either. I came in here at 5.53. I talked to a few people. I sat right there down at 5.53, looked at my watch, opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 1, read through two chapters in four minutes. 
And I got through it. Now, my retention may not have been great, but I got through it. Because I can do a little bit at a time for a long time. If you're a person like me who's task-oriented and he wants to conquer the world in a day, Northside 90-Day Plan is for you. But if you're one of those people just struggling all the time, Northside 90-Day Plan is for you. And normally I would never encourage this, but maybe even tonight during the sermon, hit kind of a boring part and there's no stories or nothing. And just turn over to Matthew 1, read it real quick. Then come up to me afterwards and say, I read Matthew 1 and 2. Great that you're in the Word through my sermon or in the Bible in through the Northside 90-Day Plan. Either one is great. I really would like to see as many people as possible go through this because I think it's very doable. And it's something that will, more importantly, get us into the daily discipline of reading, which is so important. This is what we're going to talk about on Sunday night, the idea of unswerving. There is this verse in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to turn there. Hopefully you're already there. As we think about faith, my intention on Sunday night is to talk about faith and the inspiring stories of faith. My premise is that great faith does not happen in singular moments. I mean, there are those stories, the David and Goliath kind of moments, but more often than not, faith happens a little at a time over a long time. My great aunt, who is a very much a spiritual mentor toward me, could see my tendency toward extremes in my early age. And she would repeat to me this adage, Toby, inch by inch, life's a cinch. Yard by yard, life is too hard. That adage is, I, I think, especially true in faith. Now, we're told in Scripture that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so if you'll commit to these 90 days of reading a very small amount over an extended period of time, my hope is, number one, you get to know your New Testament. Number two, you learn about the stories of faith. And number three, you grow in faith um, in your own personal walk. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 24 says this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly. Some versions say let us hold steadfast to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Sometimes I think we think faith depends on us. It is. We do have a part, but it's not so much about the one who has faith or even the faith itself. It's about what the faith is in, who the faith is in. Uh, scripture tells us he's faithful and shows us many times that he is. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, if you know anything about the writer uh, of Hebrews and the message that he's trying to convey, we don't know exactly. Some have uh, surmised that it's Paul in the right writing style. Others think it couldn't be Paul for various reasons. Not going to get into that too much. Basically, the writer is writing to Jewish Christians, people who have been converted, converted out of Judaism into Christianity. And as a result of that decision, they were facing a very long, 
uphill battle. And they had to leave family and friends in some cases. Some cases they lost their position and their status. You know, today, it's such a hard mindset to get into. Today, when we ask someone to come to Christ, very rarely do I hear people talk about that this decision might cause you to lose something. The first century Jews, it, they could lose a whole lot by coming to Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is making this case, uh, and he can sum up the entire book, the entire letter in one word. And the word is better. He makes a five-fold case for how Jesus is better. He starts by saying that he is superior to angels. I know that's hard to read. Could you guys turn off those upper lights? If you see if I, my, my colors against black background didn't work well. Uh, he is superior to angels. Uh, second, he, he, or he says basically, and this is a problem, especially in the first century, the temptation to, to worship anything that appeared like deity. To talk about them. Angels is a fascinating subject, but not worth worshiping. The angels, the word there means servant. They're simply servants. Every time there's a human-angel interaction in Scripture, the immediate reaction on the human side is what? Yeah, what you guys are doing. Just fear. So there's something there about how they appeared and how they struck fear and, and, and what they were able to do. I mean, the... the Cities they destroyed, people they destroyed, the power that they had. And yet, even angels say, uh-uh, don't worship us. And the Hebrew writer says, Christ is superior to that in power and strength and so forth. Number two, he's greater than Moses. Uh, this, is, uh, this is getting into thin ice here. This is, this is really making the case because there was no one more revered you could revere a human being uh, than Moses. He was the deliverer of the law, as we talked about this morning. And so he says, makes this case, secondly, he's greater than Moses. Third, he says he's holier than the high priest, which is the most holy person they would have known under that, under that system. Um, I think it's uh, Leviticus 10.10 says the, the whole... You know, if you get stuck in Leviticus, just go to Leviticus 10.10. And the whole purpose of Leviticus is this one verse. You must distinguish between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. That's what it was all about. That whole system was, was saying, if God's going to dwell with you, there are some rules to it. You have to separate yourselves. You've got to be holy in my presence. You've got to purify yourselves. All of that to say to them, this is who God is. And the writer of Hebrews says, even the guy who is at the top of that pecking order comes a very far second place compared to Jesus. Number four, he was the mediator of a better covenant. Jewish people prided themselves on the covenant, on this, this unique relationship that they had with, with the father through the covenant made with Abram. And there's a whole study on covenants that's fascinating, but... He's, he's basically saying that was, that was not a bad covenant, but the one that Jesus mediates that he brings in is far, far better. And then finally, he says he's the purer and final sacrifice. The purer and final sacrifice. They were used to making daily sacrifices, regular sacrifices. 
it's been a, many years ago, but I took the teens one time and we, we went through Leviticus and I actually made up some fake blood, which, you know, youth ministers trick, you, you know, a little Dawn soap, a little red food coloring and, and you can make up this stuff. But we would put it on them, we put it on their clothes and it washed right out, don't get worried. And, but it, the whole point was, here's how much blood was continuously over and over again shed. And the, the writer says, without blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And yet, that blood had to be offered over and over and over and over again. And Jesus' blood only had to be offered once. Beautiful. All right, well, he gets into all of that, which is interesting, but really not the focus. It's just that as we get into Hebrews, as we use this as the cornerstone for our Sunday night lesson, I want to talk about this idea of how we hold unswervingly, what the Hebrew writer is trying to say. And in my opinion, um, spiritual growth and nutrition comes from three things that are listed in this verse. He gives us three pieces of let us. I know that was a Mark A click on. Okay, three pieces of lettuce for your little spiritual salad. Work with me here, people. You're a hard crowd. I need to tell another exercise story? I guess so. Number one, the key to, to first growing in Christ and staying with Christ is drawing near to God. He says, verse 22, draw near to God with sincere hearts. The word there meaning genuine and true, without guile. Uh, think of how children are. Uh, children, very young children, say only what's what they're thinking. There is no ulterior motive. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll get right to the point. They'll tell you the truth almost all the time. Um, that sincerity, that purity is the kind of heart that we're to have as we draw near. It reminds us of the psalmist in Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. The psalmist writes there, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good to be near God. As a, a parent, one of the most, you know, all, think of all of the things that you give toward your children. My own children have, have started, you know, this is not fair. My reply to that is, oh, would you like fair? <laughs> no, you don't want fair because we're going to have to talk about your portion of the mortgage payment, and I know you can't afford it. No, uh, the, the, the discipline, the difficulties, the struggles, the, the, the sleepless nights, the times you pray over them, uh, the all of the the parenting that just takes so much work and energy and time if you want to do it right and and it sometimes it just seems like such a thankless task and just so like you're always battling and then your child comes up onto your lap and just 
you know, hugs you and just pulls themselves close to you. This is this nearness, this sincerity of the child that says, I love you, I want to be near you, uh, makes it all worth it. And if you make it through that, someday you get to be a grandparent, which I'm told is far better from everything I can tell must be. One day, Tyler <laughs> was younger than he is now. I, he was spending the night at my mom's. So I always go through this thing with him about what do I expect and all that. And so as I get ready to leave, I said, now, I, I just look at him and I say, be good. And my mom, his grandmother, says, oh, we always are. <laughs> and I just look back and say, I wasn't talking to Tyler. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And uh, I think sometimes we look at a verse like that and think, Oh, man, I just I can't get clean enough to be near God. And, and what he's saying there is he wants, a, he wants that purity, that sincerity that says, I, I just want to be near my Father. No guile, no, no ulterior motives. Just the desire to be near him. <clears throat> he says, draw near to God with full of faith, trusting completely in him. Now, he'll go on to say, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And finally, he says, you, you draw near to God, sincere hearts, full of faith, completely Clean. Completely clean. In, in the Old Testament, this is much more clear. As we already said, you know, Leviticus 10.10, distinguishing between the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. In the Old Testament, this is interesting to me. The holiness of God was depicted by, here's God, and you stay as far away as possible. And the closer you get, the more careful you get. And so it was very separated. The whole tabernacle system and, and who served there and what court you could go in based on if you were a Jew, if you were a Gentile, if you were a male, if you were female. Uh, all of that, it was, there, there was levels of it almost. It was almost this idea of stay back, stay back. I mean, if, if you've ever not gotten that idea, read the story of poor Uzzah in the Old Testament. You know, this poor guy walking along. And, and the, they're carrying the ark on the cart. The cart spills, upsets. He reaches out to catch the ark, and God strikes him dead. And we go, whoa, 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 like, like they must have. I mean, did anyone else want ark duty after that? I think not. It was a stay back, stay back. You know, when Moses delivered the law, stay back from the mountain, purify yourselves, stay back. And, and it had to be that way until Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Now catch this, the, the, the temple, in the temple, the curtain was torn how? From top to bottom. That's interesting. A commentator made this point, and I thought it was very good. That it was the the, the the curtain was so tall that to be torn from top to bottom meant that only God could have torn it. That the, the, the relationship between God and man could now happen because God had made it happen. 
It wasn't from the bottom up. It wasn't because they had done all these good things and purified themselves to a point that now it was okay. It was that God had sent his son to pay the price. And because the price was paid and the sin was mediated for, now there was no separation between the holy of holies and the rest of us. More, more on that could be said, but through Christ we may be both holy and clean. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. You're turning in your Bibles. It's a good one to remember. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Right? You can do this 90-day thing or not. I guarantee you at the end of your life or on Judgment Day, God's not going to ask for your card to see if you checked it all off. This will help you, but it's not going to save you. It's not because of anything you have done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Second piece of lettuce. He says, verse 23, let us hold on to hope. What hope? The hope that we profess. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15. He says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I was read 1 Peter 3.15 and read it as, I need to be able to debate anyone at any time and tell them why they're wrong. That's not what 1 Peter 3.15 says. 1 Peter 3.15 is Peter saying, do you remember when you became a Christian and why you became a Christian? What hope did you have that that doing something that some guy who lived 2,000 years ago said to do was going to save you? What hope that 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 when you went down into the water and you came up out that you've received the forgiveness of sins and the promised Holy Spirit? What was that? What was the reasoning behind that? If you're a Christian, you ought to be able to share that story with gentleness and respect. That doesn't mean you have all the answers, and it doesn't mean uh, that everyone will believe you. But every Christian ought to have a story, ought to have a reason for the hope that they have. Boy, that that is so powerful. And we got to hold on to that within ourselves. You know, hope's not a permanent thing. You got to... Be reminded of it. You've got to remind yourself from time to time of the reason for the hope that you have. Faith and hope are useless, futile things. They are just a go-between. They're connecting one thing to the other. Hmm. Okay, this is going to test, sorry, camera people. I'm walking over here. Okay, I can have as much faith and hope as I want to in this tree. Okay, I can. There are people who do. <laughs> I can have as much faith and hope as I want to in that tree. I can have a powerful amount of faith and an impressive amount of hope in that tree, but that will yield me nothing. You remember the story of the prophets of Baal? And they cut themselves, and they called out, and they, uh, they did it all day. They were super sincere. They had a lot of faith, and they had a lot of hope, but they had their faith and their hope in the wrong God. 
And he couldn't do anything for them. On the other side of that, Jesus says if you have faith, very small faith, as a mustard seed even, you can say to this mountain, go from here to there. Throw yourself into the sea. You'll do amazing things with a little bit of faith in a huge God who can do anything. Right? You understand what I'm saying here? It's not about the size of the faith. It's about what you have the faith in or who you have the faith in that makes the difference. So when you get down, when you begin to succumb to despair, doubt, you need to remember this. No matter what happens, he is faithful. He still holds, holds hope. In times of temptation, in times of trial, in times of persecution, in times of loss, in times of difficulty, in times of despair, God doesn't change. Our faith, you know, I think if we could graph it, you know, go something like this, up and down, times when you're on the mountaintop, times when you're in the valley, and yet God's doesn't. All he asks us to do is have faith. How do we have that faith? By hearing the word of God. And believing and trusting that he is who he said he is. Third piece of lettuce. Let us spur one another on. Let us spur one another on. Toward love and good deeds. Uh, This is sadly the most... um, misused verse, because it's usually connected with verse 25, which we didn't get into tonight. But for a long time, I've heard it, um, not here at this pulpit, but others as as a guilting verse, because God has an attendance list up in heaven. And if you heard that, and you've got that buried in your core somewhere, I'm sorry, but that's not what it says. That's not what it's trying to say. That's not the point of it. Verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I've heard that verse used to browbeat people and guilt them into it. Boy, I don't know if you do not come 104 times a year. I just, I don't know. I mean, not sure. This is why people, you say, you're going to heaven, and I say, I hope so. Oh, God, forgive us for such poor theology. That's not his point. His point is not saying God's up there in heaven keeping a list, and if you don't make the list and get it checked off every single time, hmm, I don't know about your eternity. Did you not get Titus 3.5? It's not because of things we have done. The point of worship is to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what it's about. I know, I know it's easier to look at me, but I need you to look around at each other for just a second. Look to your left, look to your right. Stop looking at me, okay? Because I know we, I get a lot of the time, but the point of coming together is that you might be encouraged. The word encouraged means literally to give courage to someone. 
Someone needs to know what kind of week you had, the, the struggles you've gone through. Somebody needs to, to be able to rejoice in your victories and to, to share in your, your despair and to put an arm around you and say it's going to be okay. Someone needs to pray with you. That's the point of the body meeting together. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Rose Shady is, is my beautiful example of this. She is so encouraging. I don't, I'm not saying she's perfect. I'm not saying uh, that she never makes a mistake. But she, every time I see her, Rose has a smile on her face. And when I see Rose, what do I do? I smile. Because I reflect what she reflects. She gives me courage when I see her. It's not that God's up there going, how many times was Toby there this year? It's that when we have, when we come together, we have an opportunity not just to worship him, but to encourage and love one another. To encourage one another on in this journey. We're all in it together. and Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy to want to give up. Sometimes it's, sometimes there are days, you know, and God wanted us to keep meeting together, not because he cares about the attendance sheet, but because he cares about us. He needs us to encourage and love one another. He needs us to do good deeds for each other so that we can both, as Roy said, give and receive. To be blessed by that. That's what the church is all about when we come together. It, it, if, you, if you just take verse 25 by itself, oh, you missed the whole point. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It, it doesn't matter to me if, if you meet together Sunday morning. Sunday night, small group, with your classes. Christians ought to be together so that they encourage. Uh, that, that courage is contagious. We pass it along to one another. And it was, a guy from church invited me and a few other guys over to his house Friday evening. And we just had a good time of fellowship. We, and, and I told Chris it was so good, I haven't done that in forever, and it was just so encouraging. It lifted my spirits to be with my brothers in Christ and just to have a time where we were encouraging and loving one another. We didn't say it that way. We were men, you know, but we were encouraging one another. And that's what Christianity is and should be about. So I know you looked around at one another. I, I, just encourage one another. When we're done tonight, encourage one another. That's what we're here for. That's your purpose. And I think the longer you're a Christian, the better you get in encouraging. Because if you've been alive 50 years longer, you can tell the person who's only been around 10, 20, 30 years, hey, I know what you're going through. It's going to get better. It's going to be okay. And the last part of this. We all know people who at one time were committed to Jesus who were Christians. They loved him sincerely. They worshipped him sincerely. And then, for whatever reason, they gave up. They stopped. You know, they're not here anymore. It's my belief that most people give up and they quit their faith because they lack encouragement. 
They lack one person saying to them, hey, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. You've really helped me. Thank you for being who you are. Or just listening to them. Man, I've had a a terrible week, and and I don't know if it's going to get any better. But it's nice to have somebody who, who cares, that we believe wants to be there with us as we journey together. So, the three let us, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to hope. Let us spur one another on toward love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Everything we do as a church is about, in my opinion, comes down to love and encouragement. Love is the cornerstone, the two greats. Love God with all you've got. Love other people as yourself. Think about what churches do. We fellowship together. That's loving and encouraging each other. Evangelism. Well, that's loving and encouraging the lost, the people who aren't saved. Worship. That's loving God. That's, that's encouraging one another. When we sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we sing to one another. Discipleship, helping others grow, not know, not just know Christ, but, but to grow in him. That's loving and encouraging your brother or sister in Christ. And ministry is all about good works, is all not for earning anything, but for doing the good that Jesus called us to do. As we think about holding unswervingly, I hope we will think about drawing near to God, holding on to hope, and encouraging one another. We do these things... I believe we'll grow individually and collectively in our faith at Northside. Now, uh, there is one final very important point. And that is this. The sermon is over now. And uh, now you can go ahead and fill in your blanks and put your stuff away because I'm going to offer the invitation. And the invitation is this. If you don't know the love of God and if you aren't encouraged by Jesus Christ... If you aren't encouraged by one another, you can know God and you can know his son Jesus by what he did. If you have any need tonight, I'll be waiting down front. I'd love to meet with you, pray with you, love you, and encourage you in any way that I can. Come, if you have a need, as together we stand and sing.